you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18, tonight's message, a model for friendship. As we continue our sermon series on the life of David, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 18, and we'll read verse 1 and then we'll move to 1 Samuel 23, verses 16 through 18. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking to Saul, speaking of David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 1 Samuel 23, Beginning with verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you, And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And the two, speaking of David and Jonathan, made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went back to his house. James Taylor, Carol King, that's old school singers. They both many years ago recorded the same song. And they recorded that same song in close proximity to one another. The song that they recorded became a monster hit for both of them. The name of the song? You Got a Friend. You Got a Friend. The song was well-liked and it was well-received because most people have a need, a need for a friend. I want to read to you the lyrics of the song because I think they speak to the heart of friendship. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand, And nothing, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me. And soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest nights. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am. I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer or fall. All you have to do is call. And I'll be there. You got a friend. If the sky above you should turn dark and be full of clouds, and that old north wind should begin to blow, keep your head together and call my name out loud, and soon I'll be knocking at your door. 
You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call, and I'll be there. Ain't it good to know you have a friend? People can be so cold, they'll hurt you and desert you. They'll take your soul if you let them. But don't you let them. Just call out my name and you know wherever I am. I'll come running to see you again. You've got a friend. That's a secular song, but it has a powerful message, don't it? Tonight in our study of David, we're coming to a time in David's life when he needed a friend. Somebody has said that a friend is somebody who walks into your life when everybody runs out. Everybody has abandoned David, and he desperately needs a friend. As we go into 1 Samuel 18, King Saul is about to go on a rampage. He's going to go after David. He's going to try to kill David. David who slew Goliath. David who saved the nation of Israel. Who saved the Israelite people. David who brought honor and glory to God. Has got on Saul's bad list. You see, Saul was a giant man physically, but he was a little man spiritually. And he despised David because David got more applause from the people than he did. David got more accolades from the people than he did. The people had a song. Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. And Saul got angry and he got jealous. And he dealt with his anger and jealousy by trying to kill David. And if it was not for the grace of God, he would have. As we go into 1 Samuel 18, public opinion is now turning against David. You know, public opinion can be a very fickle thing, can it? Today people can say, hail you, hail you. And those same people tomorrow will say, nail you, nail you. Don't get swollen up too much when people pat you on the back because those same people will kick you in the tail the next day. And so David is facing now a turn in public opinion against him. He's got King Saul who's now got him designated for slaughter. Many of David's fans and followers have abandoned him. Notice I said fans and followers, I didn't say friends. When David was riding the rainbow, they were with him. But now that the rainbow hasn't produced a pot of gold, they're jumping ship. So David needs a friend, and God in his grace sends David Jonathan, a friend 
who can help David. Howard Rutledge wrote a book many years ago, In the Presence of My Enemies. Howard Rutledge was a POW in North Vietnam. When his plane crashed, the North Vietnamese captured him and took him to the Hanoi Hilton. That was their name for a POW prison. And I can assure you, it was no Hilton. And Howard Rutledge was taken there. He was brutalized, brutalized by the communists. So much, in fact, he wanted to die. In fact, he had made up his mind just to give up and to die. But then, during his confinement, during his loneliness, during his pain, during that time when he was low and he wanted to die, he began to hear some strange sounds in his prison cell. He began to hear some taps, but the taps were strange in the way they were heard. And the more he listened to those taps that were coming from somewhere around him, he figured out that was Morse code. And there were other prisoners there with him that he could not see them. And they were communicating with him by Morse code. They were encouraging him. Be of courage, my brother. We are here with you. Well, Howard Rutledge then found the will to live. One day he would be released from that prison camp. David needed somebody to pull up alongside of him and say, Oh, brother, have courage. We're with you. I want to talk about Jonathan a little bit tonight, maybe more so than David. Because I think Jonathan gives us a picture of what a model friendship is all about. And I hope tonight that you have a friend. Most of our ladies, I think, would say, I have a friend. About half of you men might could say that. Let's look at Jonathan. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jonathan was an active friend. He wasn't a passive friend. He was an active friend. If you notice in 1 Samuel 23 that we read just a moment ago, We find that David is out in the woods. He's been driven there by Saul who wants to kill him. David is a man on the run. He's a fugitive. And hiding out there in the woods, it says in verse 16, Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. That's interesting, isn't it? King Saul wants to kill David, yet his son Jonathan goes... In verse 16, to where David is in the woods. And he encourages the hand of God on David's life. He strengthens the hand of God on David's life. Jonathan came to David. 
Jonathan came to David. Folks, that's active friendship. Jonathan was a hands-on, up-close friend. Again, the scriptures say it very clearly. Can you hear it? He came to David. A friend indeed is a friend in need. David is stressed out. He's struggling. He doesn't need a telephone call. He doesn't need a postcard. He needs a physical body next to him right now. And Jonathan comes to David. Now sometimes a call works, doesn't it? Sometimes a postcard's okay. But there might come a time in our life when we need somebody's presence there. David needed a physical presence and Jonathan came to David. Now I want you to know this is the second time that Jonathan has come to David. This is the second time that Jonathan has come to support David. The first time was when David killed Goliath. And David was on top of the mountain, basking in the sunshine. Jonathan came to him to help him handle stardom. But now Jonathan comes to him because David's no longer at the top of the mountain, is he? He's at the bottom of the valley. He's no longer learning how to be a star. He's learning how to be a reject. And Jonathan, who loved David when he was on the top, loves David when he's on the bottom. And he comes to encourage him, to tell him how all will be well. One of the things that marks a friendship, ladies and gentlemen, is being there. Just being there. It isn't always so much what you say. It isn't always so much what you do. It's just the fact that you're physically there. Your presence sometimes says more than words ever could say. Your presence sometimes shows more than your deeds could ever show. Jonathan was a friend because he was involved, he was active in David's life. Chuck Colson, you've heard the name before. Chuck Colson worked under the administration of President Richard Nixon. But Chuck Colson got involved in some dirty tricks. He got caught. Watergate, you've heard of that before? The Watergate scandal, they called it back in the day. You know you're getting old when you say back in the day. <laughs> well, Chuck Colson got caught being involved in that Silly political event. And when he got caught, he was tried. He was found guilty. And he was sentenced to spend time in jail. The night before he was going to go to prison, he didn't get a call, he didn't get a postcard. He got a visit from three men 
that were his friends. Harold Hughes, Graham Purcell, and Douglas Coe came to Chuck Colson's home. They didn't come to have a drink with him. They didn't come to have a blame party with him. They didn't come to complain. They didn't come to plan a strategy. According to Chuck Colson, they just came and had a, a sit with him. Old country expression, a sit with him. They really didn't say a whole lot during their time with him. They just listened as Chuck Colson talked. They really didn't do a whole lot for him. They just held his hand and put their arm around him. Chuck Colson would go to prison and he would spend some years there. But you know he never forgot that. He never forgot that three friends took time out of their busy lives to go and visit him and sit with him and listen to him and hold him as he cried and just let out all the emotion that was inside of him. Friends are always there. Always there. Whatever that means at the time. Jonathan was active in this friendship. But not only was he active in the friendship, he was affectionate in the friendship. He was, a, he was affectionate. Do you remember it said in 1 Samuel 18, and when it came to pass after David had finished a conversation with Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan, look at this, men. Say that word for me, men. Jonathan loved. Say it, men. Loved. Loved him as his own soul. David was a champion. He slew Goliath, as we saw last week. What I'm trying to get you to see is David was a man's man. Jonathan was a warrior. He killed 20 Philistines in hand-to-hand -hand fighting by himself. So we're not talking about effeminate men. We're not talking about sissies. We're not talking about marshmallows. We're talking about two men that were as macho as you can be. Two men that oozed masculinity. And yet the Bible says they had a great affection for one another. They were not afraid to hug. They were not afraid to cry. They were not afraid to say, I care about you, I love you. They weren't afraid to do that. I can tell by looking at some of your men's faces right now, some of you find that. And I feel sorry for you. I really do. I really do. Because it's that mentality that sends so many men to the pit of depression. 
and to their grave early. They don't have a friend. Jonathan wasn't afraid to show David he loved him. And that love wasn't a sexual love as some of our homosexual friends try to say it was. That love was a Philadelphia love, a love of camaraderie, a love of harmony, a love of unity, a love that was bonded by a kindred spirit. Jonathan cared for David. The Bible says their souls were knitted together. What what a powerful way of describing their love. Some of you play golf. Sam's got a golf tournament coming up soon. I hope you'll be part of it if you're a golfer. Well, let me take you back to 1996. 1996, the Masters, Augusta. One of the premier golfing events in America every year. One of the big four. Well, Greg Norman, the shark from Australia... He was going into the last round. That's like the fourth quarter in football, ladies. And he's up by six strokes over all the competitors. He's at the height of his game. At the height of his game. Nobody has ever blown six-stroke lead going into the final of the Masters. Nobody Until then, Greg Norman played lousy and Nick Faldo played exceptionally well. And on the last hole of the last round of the Masters, Nick Faldo put in a 15-foot putt and won the Masters. Overcame a six-stroke lead by Greg Norman. Well, as they do in golf, because it's a game of courtesy, Greg Norman came to shake the hand of Nick Faldo. But as he came with his hand extended to congratulate him, Nick Faldo did something that's kind of unusual. He pushed Greg Norman's hand aside. And he put his arms out and hugged his neck. This was seen on national television. Nick Faldo hugging Greg Norman's neck. And then he whispered something in his ear that would later be revealed by Greg Norman. He said, just remember, you've got a friend in me. You know, Greg Norman needed to hear that. He was about as low as you could get. Lower than a snake's belly in a tire track. I mean, he was low. He thought the whole world was against him. He had blew it. And to hear Nick Faldo say those words resonated in his mind and heart. And Greg Norman on national television began to cry. 
the man called the shark began to weep. He was later asked, why was he crying? Because he lost the golf tournament? He said, I'm crying because I've never had another man hug me and tell me he wanted to be my friend. He wept and he wept and he wept. Many of you have perhaps seen the movie Brian's Song. Many years ago in the NFL, though they were integrated on the playing field, they were segregated in their living quarters. And the Chicago Bears decided to do some tinkering. They decided to integrate the housing as well as the football field with their players. The Chicago Bears decided to take Brian Piccolo, a white southern fullback from Wake Forest, North Carolina, and pair him up with another who was a black northern halfback from Kansas by the name of Gale Sayers. Now, that ain't no big deal to us today, but back then, it was a big deal. White city slicker with black ghetto youngster. One from a prestigious school, Wake Forest, the other from perhaps not so prestigious, Kansas. And they put them in the same room. (laughs) Well, it took a while for them to get used to one another. They weren't familiar with each other's way of life. But the more they got together, the more they saw they had more in common than they had differences. Brian Piccolo would never be a big star in the NFL, second team at best. Gail Sayers would become one of the greatest players of all time. Maybe he would have been the greatest, except a knee injury cut his career short. They developed a friendship. And then Brian Piccolo got cancer. A young man got cancer. It was not just cancer, it was terminal cancer. And guess who became his greatest encouragement and supporter? that black halfback from Kansas by the name of Gale Sayers. And when Gale Sayers did the eulogy at Brian Piccolo's funeral, among other things, you know what he said? He pointed at the casket and said, I love that man. Jonathan was a friend. He was an active friend. He came to David. Jonathan was an affectionate friend. He wasn't afraid to show his emotions, to speak his emotions to David. And then lastly tonight, I want you to see that Jonathan was not only an active friend and an affectionate friend, but he was a friend who acknowledged 
something that was very important. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, I want you to see something very interesting. Jonathan speaking to David says these words, Do not be afraid, David. For the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. And thou shalt be the king over Israel. Do you see that? I shall be right beside you. And Saul, my father, knows that. I will be right there with you. And I will help you be the greatest king this country has ever had. Jonathan loved David so much as a friend that he acknowledged a spiritual truth. God had chosen David to be the next king of Israel. Now you may not think that's a big deal, but let me tell you something. According to the tradition of that day, according to the way they did things in that day, when the king died, who became the next king? His son. Jonathan was in line for the throne. Do you understand that? He was to be the next king of Israel if everything worked out according to tradition. But God doesn't always do things traditionally, does he? Sometimes God is contemporary. And God decided that he was going to change things. He has that prerogative. He is Lord, is he not? And he said, Jonathan, you're a good man. But Israel needs a great man. And I have chosen David to be the successor of your father. Jonathan should have been the king. How would you feel like if somebody took something that was yours? That should have been my job. That should have been my inheritance. That should have been my position. That should have been my prize. That should have been my reward. Sometimes a person's true integrity shows when something's taken from you that you rightly deserve. Jonathan said, David, that's... I should be the king, but I acknowledge that God has chosen you. And I want you to know, David, I have no resentment. In fact, I will be there with you and for you and do all that I can to make you what God wants you to be. You see, Jonathan could say that because he loved the Lord. And through the power of the Lord, he was able to understand that God's will is what needs to be done. God's word must be obeyed, even if it cost us personally something that we prize very much. Jonathan loved the Lord, therefore he could love David. And he could want what was best for David, even if it was to cost him 
his monarchy. You know, that's what best friends do, don't they? They, 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 they advance you. They promote you. They push you along. They lift you higher. If somebody says they're your friend and they try to hold you back, they're not your friend. Jonathan said to David, I will do anything I can to make you better. I will be there with you. Sadly to say, Jonathan would not get that opportunity. God's plan for his life was to take him home early. And Jonathan would die in combat. But what a friend he was for David. He was willing to acknowledge God's choice, even though it cost him. And he could do that because he walked with God. He was affectionate. He understood that you can be a man and tell somebody, I love you. And he did. He was actively involved in David's life. He wasn't a passive friend who just sat on his hands while his friend was struggling. He came to him. He offered himself, whatever that means, to comfort David. In closing, I was reading a book about President Reagan. And in that book, there was a story that kind of related to the presidency. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, but I think it kind of shows something I want to share with you tonight. In the book, it talks about a young girl by the name of Karen Hartsock. At the time, she was 14 years old. Just had entered her teenage years. She lived in Castlewood, Virginia. She didn't have a mother. She was raised by her father who was disabled. He was crippled. She had the responsibility of raising two sisters and a brother as her father was very limited in what he could do and the mother was nowhere to be found. Well, one night, according to the story, 14-year-old Karen smelled smoke. Smoke in the house. She left her bedroom and she not only smelled smoke, she saw fire. Somehow the house had caught on fire. And it was being engulfed in smoke. It was being engulfed in flames. And this 14-year-old girl immediately thought about her brothers and her sisters. Her brother and her sisters. And so she went to their bedroom. The smoke was getting denser. The flames were getting higher and hotter. And she grabbed her brother and she took him out to safety. She came back in that house that was now more smoke and more fire. And she grabbed her first sister and then came back and got her second sister. She saved all of her family, including her crippled daddy. But it came at a great cost to her. 90% of her body was burned. 
Not just minor league burned, major league burned. So much, in fact, that some of her fingers came off. Some of her toes came off. She would be in the hospital for nine months, ladies and gentlemen. She would be wrapped like a mummy. She was not allowed to see herself in the mirror for that nine-month period. According to those who tended to her, she had such a sweet spirit. She sang Christian songs. She encouraged other patients. She never cried. She always wanted to be brave for others. At the end of nine months, Karen, now 15, they took the bandages off. And they allowed her to see herself. And she was hideous. She was ugly. A beautiful girl was now hideous and ugly. A swan had become an ugly duckling. And when she looked at herself in the mirror, she broke down and began to cry. She became chronically depressed. She no longer smiled. She no longer sang songs. She cried all day and all night. She wanted to die. Ladies, can you imagine what she's thinking? Who would ever want an ugly me? I'll never get married. I'll never have children. People will point at me like they point at freaks in the carnival shows. She was about ready to give up, ladies and gentlemen, when a man by the name of Fred Patrick would come. Fred was a senior citizen who had a ministry at the hospital. And he came and he would visit with Karen. At first she ignored him. She just turned her head. But he was a persistent fellow. And he kept coming back. Kept reading scripture. Kept singing a little song. Kept telling a few little jokes. And eventually he wore her down. She had to look at him. She had to listen to him. She began to let him minister to her. And he encouraged her that life wasn't over at 15. That God had a purpose for her life. And because of his encouragement as a friend, Karen Hartsock would pull out of her depression she would renew her faith, her purpose. And she would go to nursing school. And she would become a nurse at Walter Reed Hospital, ministering to war veterans who looked like her. And she was so good at it that President Ronald Reagan invited her to the White House and gave her 
the National Courage Reward. She became what she became because a senior citizen by the name of Fred Patrick chose to befriend her and turn an ugly duckling back into a beautiful swan. Do you have a friend tonight as we close? You better. You better have an eternal friend because one day in eternity you're going to need a friend and he better be named Jesus. And you better have an earthly friend because there will come a day on this journey of life and faith when you're going to need somebody. And the only way you'll have a friend is to show yourself friendly. Do you have a relationship with the eternal friend? Do you have an earthly friend? Do you? If you say you do, who is it? You have to think long and hard about it. You don't have one. I believe one day in God's Hall of Fame, we'll see David. I also believe in God's Hall of Fame, one day we'll see right beside him, Jonathan. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.